Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, as well as the book that started it all, Delay Don't Deny. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than denying myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, Who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories, episode 206. Today, I'm here with a very special repeat guest that most of you know and love already, Graham Curry. He actually first dropped into our podcast March of 2019. It's been like three years. Can you believe it, Graham? No, I can't, Jen. It's a long time ago when you just said episode 207 and I was 23. So 206. Yeah, we're episode 206 and you were 23. I know, that's crazy and a long time ago, but um, a lot's happened since then, of course, but I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Well, a lot has. So for those of you who have heard Graham on the podcast before, you know all about him. He lives in Perth, which is in Western Australia, and he is an agricultural researcher 
but most of you know him better as an author and a podcaster because Graham is the host of The Fasting Highway, named after his book of the same name, The Fasting Highway. And if you haven't had a chance to check out his podcast, you absolutely should because Graham, same as me, brings you the stories of intermittent fasters from all around the world. So, And when we talked in 2019, had you written the book yet? No, I wasn't even close to writing a book. And I, th- I remember at the end of the podcast saying one day there might be a book in me or something, and it was just something I just said flippantly then, and I didn't really think it would ever happen, and then it did. And then, of course, the podcast came along, and then sort of the podcast was out before the book, and then the book came. And so just today, I was looking at it. I think the book's been out 425 days now, and the podcast, I've done 107 episodes now. Yeah, and so very similar to yourself. I've been very lucky to, fortunate to talk to people all over the world. And you know what it's like in real time when you actually hear the stories. It can be quite emotional, and it can really resonate with you a lot. So, yeah, we're in privileged positions, Jen. We are. I'm grateful for it every single day for every person who wants to tell their story. I'm grateful for them and for the listeners who want to hear. So it's we we have a lot to be thankful for. But you know, I know a lot of people know your story, but some people don't because this may be the first episode of intermittent fasting stories they've ever listened to. But so would you start the same way I start all of my episodes? Tell us what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that? Sure. Well, just for, I'll give you the briefer version. So anybody that wants to listen to the whole gambit of it, they can go back to episode 23 of Jin's podcast and get the majority of it. But just to recap, I basically had weight problems from about the age of 14. And it was a conversation I overheard between my mum and dad one day. And mum said, oh, Graham's getting really fat. And I thought, wow, these are the people I really love. They're my heroes. And it was just, it absolutely destabilized me. And I went into a bit of a tailspin in my teen years. And It didn't help when mum and dad bought a convenience store. So I spent like three years like a virtual kid in a lolly shop that was reality where I developed some pretty ordinary habits with food, a lot of binge eating, closet eating, developed probably my sugar addiction, um, drank a lot of Coke, that sort of stuff, chips, lollies, you name it, because that's what you did in the convenience store when you worked in the store. So yeah, those things sort of destabilized me. And then I just gradually started putting on weight. And then my school life was pretty ordinary. And the more heavier I got, the more obese I got. Uh, I started getting bullied at school because of that. Because in the 70s, there wasn't many obese kids. And I started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's true. It really was very, the landscape was extremely different in the 70s. Yeah, it was. And the teachers were often quite cruel as well. It wasn't like now where they're, you know, they're trained and they, they don't, join in with the kids to bully other kids. And back in the 70s, we had a lot of guys that were coming out of Vietnam. We had a high school uh, principal. He was a a terrible man and used to really be quite abusive to kids that were carrying a weight in that. And it was those sort of years for me at school were a lot of trouble. I got into a lot of fights. I basically had to fight my way through school. So I was really glad when I left. And I left at age 15 and I started working. And um, I guess over the years, I just got heavier and heavier, Jen, and in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and gradually. And I did lose a bit of weight when I was 19. I got sick with rheumatic fever and I very nearly died. And I lost a lot of weight. And it was the first time in my life where I realized how people treated you differently when you're overweight and then you weren't. And all of a sudden, I had a great life in my 20s. I was partying, you know, girls, all that sort of thing came my way and, and it was great. And then I started regaining the weight in 20s, 30s, 40s and developing those sugar addictions and fast food addictions, which haunted me my whole life. So then I get into my 50s and um, I had a catalyst moment on a plane going back in 2017. The end of 2017 was with my wife sitting on the tarmac in Sydney 
I'll always remember it, seat 44G, and I just thought, oh, I'm going to blow up. I was so full. I just had a big week, Christmas 2017, and I felt like I was going to explode. And I thought, I've got to do something about it. That's how I felt after that cruise. So you had just had the holidays. We eat, drink, and we're merry during the holidays. So you like use that as an excuse like every day, right? A special occasion like me on that cruise. I'm going to eat everything that's here. And then at the end of it, you just I, I know what you mean, feeling like you want to just like you're blowing up in your body. I just felt like I was so full. It was just going to burst out the top of my head. And then I looked at my wife and I was taking up half of her seat and she's the love of my life. And I thought, I cannot die on this woman. I cannot do this. I have to be here for her. And then in a four-hour flight, was the first time I've ever been on a plane for four hours, never ate or drank anything. So I guess my fasting basically started right there and then. Now, I got off the other end and, and because I didn't know about intermittent fasting at that stage, and my first thing was, well, I had to address my addictions, sugar, fast food. I was a drive-through victim three, four times a day. We talked about that in episode 23. You was going to school. I was going to work, going through the drive-through. You were hiding the packets, same thing as I used to do. And then I had that sugar addiction where I had no off button, and I just got huge. So I got up to about 160 kilos or 360 pounds at that stage. And then I sort of started coming out of that addiction to sugar and fast food after a horrific withdrawal. I went through a period of two, three weeks. You know how they talk about drug addicts have those withdrawals? Well, I had a similar thing with sugar and I the whole thing, hearing voices just really tearing at me and I managed to fight through it and started getting easier. So then I accidentally stumbled onto intermittent fasting by Google searching about losing weight or something and it led me to your group, The Delay Don't Deny, and then your book and I started reading it and at first I thought, what sort of weirdos do this? Who does only eats one meal a day? That's crazy. That's nuts. And then I started thinking about it and I thought, well, you know, I started reading more and I started reading your story and your story really resonated with me because a lot of people forget that you actually lived this journey too. I mean, you're an expert on intermittent fasting, but you've been there, done it. And then I sort of thought, well, you know, this lady can do this and it sounds so simple. The way you laid it out, it was really simple, you know, fast feast, repeat. Well, that was the name of your next book or one, two down the track. But, and I thought, well, I've got to give this a crack. So my wife was in America on business and I rang her and she was running up the stairs at the Rocky statue and I said hey honey I've discovered this thing called intermittent fasting and I'm going to do it she goes oh that's really great you know and she's always supportive of everything I do and and then she sort of didn't really say much about it and then I did it for I went straight into doing 23 and 1 because I didn't know any different and I thought well I get home at five o'clock I'll start then I'll have my food then and then I'll just you know have my meal and then I'll stop and I'll repeat the next day. And the more I read about it, the more it resonated. And when I joined your groups, the Delay Don't Deny communities, I was just like, oh my God, look at these people. Look at the pictures. Look at the stories. Look, And the thing that struck me, Jen, and it strikes me now, is when I see people on the screen like me talking to you now, I notice their skin. I notice the brightness in their eyes. And I just notice that rejuvenation and vitality in them. And you probably do as well. And I thought to myself, I've got to do this. So I started and the fasting was okay. I got through that because I'd already come out of that addiction phase and got rid of that, well, most of it first. I really felt that helped me because I thought, well, if I'd started this and I'd already been addicted, I would have had two problems to work out at the same time. And I really say to people now, if you have those sort of issues with food, maybe try and address them first. 
because it made it a lot easier for me. Yeah, I want to pop in there. I agree with not trying to change both things at once. And you're exactly right. I did it really the opposite of you. I started with the fasting and because I was very much eating, you know, the standard American diet with the fast food and the ultra processed foods. And I started with the fasting and it was over time that I, I changed my diet because I felt better. But for you, it really helped you address the fasting to change your diet first because you had identified that those foods were not serving you well. I hadn't really gotten to that point till later, but I 100% want to reiterate that it's too much to try to do everything at once. You know, had you tried to start intermittent fasting and eat completely differently in your eating window at the same time, it may, it may have backfired. Well, I think that's what pushes some people over the edge in that they do start it and then they realize that they have those sorts of issues. You know, addictions to food, it might be sugar, it might be fast food, or it might be binge eating or whatever it may be. But unless you get rid of those and address those problems first, you can come to intermittent fasting and all of a sudden you have to rewire the whole way you eat. You have to rewire the whole way you think about what you're eating. And I know we have that saying, you can eat whatever you want. We talked about that the other day, but you know, and I got that message straight away through your book about the clean fast. So I understood why that was important and keeping our insulin low and all that. So I really got that right from day one. And then the fasting, I sort of thought, okay. And then I just started doing it. And the weight started dropping off me, not dramatically fast at first, but steady. And then sort of I started losing, and you know, 10, 15 pounds in a month or whatever it was. And, and I was a big guy, so I had a lot to lose. So, of course, I'm going to lose fast like most big, big guys do. And then I sort of thought after a few months – this is something that is so different to anything I've ever done or ever seen or ever tried. And then the, the NSVs, the non-scale victories we talk about, the health benefits. I had psoriasis all over me, my hands, my knees, my knuckles. Three months when I started, it started disappearing. Six months, it vanished. And I'd had that for 20 years. And I'd been told three times by specialists, you will never get rid of this. And I just thought, what is going on? And then other things started happening. My eyesight was so much sharper. Just thinking the way I thought about things, and I used to do a lot of long-distance driving for work, and that became so much easier. More mental clarity, sharpness, vision sharper. And then just other things happened. Arthritic fingers I used to have. I could hardly open my fingers when I woke up in the morning. That started easing, and then that completely vanished. Aches, pains, all those sorts of things, and just vitality came true in me. I mean, you know, I won't mess around. I mean, I had a really good libido when I was obese, but then intermittent fasting started making me get out of control. And I thought, wow, okay. Uh, should we, is Lou like happy about that? Or is she like back off, Graham? <laughs> well, I thought she was going to run for the hills at one stage, but that's something we don't often talk about, but it's true. And I think that's important to mention, especially for men and vitality and that sort of thing. Because I've interviewed a lot of guys and have said that, that it really helped them with those sorts of issues. But and then I sort of went on and I started losing the weight and I lost 100 pounds in the first year. And then when I came on your podcast in March 19, I'd lost just over 100 pounds. And then following that podcast, um, just to follow up from that, if anyone listens to it, I lost a further 32 pounds. And then I got sort of to my goal weight. I mean, I'm six foot five tall, so I'm a big bone guy. So I got down to 220 or 100 kilos, as we say here in Australia. And my body sort of got to that, what we call a set point, and what I thought well, I was fairly happy in that range. And then I thought, well, I'm just going to stay in this range. And the thing that's been a real qualification 
for fasting and an, an advertisement for fasting, if you like, is that I've been able to keep that weight off and without a lot of effort, but you know, I like to say vigilance without obsession. And that's how I describe maintenance. I love what you just said, vigilance without obsession, because we do have to pay attention. You know, there are seasons where my honesty pants get tight. Today, I feel really good in my jeans. I've got my size zeros on. I'm feeling good in them. My body did change a little bit as I went over through menopause, you know, hormone changes. My shape changed a little bit. I'm a little saggier than I used to be because our skin changes, but through vigilance, Without overreacting, I've been able to keep the same clothes. But you lost 140 pounds. I just wanted to share that math. Yeah, I did. Just under that. And I maintain that weight loss. I'd like to say I have a goal range. Because when people talk about a goal weight, just a specific number, they get very wound up about it. And when you say to people, well, listen, what about if you have a goal range of four to five pounds and you sort of fluctuate between that? Because as we know, Jim, we can have a few glasses of wine on the weekend or whatever, you know, and a couple of carbohydrates more so than usual. And our weight will be up. But it doesn't mean that we've put on three or four pounds of fat overnight. It just means that increased volume and extra carbohydrates have caused that weight spike, which is usually water weight. And then we go back to our regular service fasting, if you like, and, and that usually dissipates. And that's what I've found. And so now I have the tools of intermittent fasting you know, if my weight starts getting up to the higher end of the range, well, I rein things back in, I tighten my window. If it goes below my range that I'm comfortable with, then I might, you know, eat more and that sort of thing and might not fast as much for a few days and just to stay in that range. So it's like a calibration, if you like. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium, and specifically, Magnesium Breakthrough by by Optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency. And, in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories promo code ifstories10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash ifstories promo code ifstories10. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. 
And I find that just the feeling of fasting, and a lot of people say to me, why do you still fast? I mean, you lost all the weight. I mean, why don't you just eat normal food like other people do? And I say, well, I just love the fact that I'm going through a car wash every day and get my organs cleaned for free. And that's, I love it. It's exactly true, though. And also, you know, sometimes I've, I've heard people say, people who are new to intermittent fasting, they'll say, well, I heard that once you quit, you'll gain all the weight back. I'm like, well, yes, <laughs> because we don't quit. But you don't want to quit is the key. If I were to stop doing intermittent fasting today and went back to a normal, quote, you know, typical the way the world eats, the way the most of the world eats, I would regain the weight. I would lose my appetite correction that fasting gives me. I would not feel good in my body. I would be on that sugar roller coaster again where I have the crashes. Because any day where I have a longer eating day, like Christmas Day, Christmas Day, I had a longer eating day. By about 2 o'clock, after starting with brunch and all the heavy Christmas food, by 2 o'clock, I was having a cup of coffee with evaporated milk. Because I just love evaporated milk and coffee. It tastes, it's really good. Do y'all have evaporated milk? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, we do. Yeah. Because I know in parts of the world, they don't have all the creamer that we have. So I, I, we're a little different over here. But And I even was putting sugar in it. But I needed that because I was like, I needed to be more alert. And I would be obese again. I would be going right back into that forest that I have come out of. And so intermittent fasting is the tool that allows us to, like I enjoyed Christmas Day because food is celebratory. But by the end of it, I didn't feel my best. And I really enjoyed how I felt the day after Christmas when I got back to my normal routine. But we don't stop because we feel so much better when we do it. And you and I know, I'm like, I don't call myself a food addict but I know that once I get on that blood sugar roller coaster early in the day, I, I just need the food to keep it going in. Does that make sense? Like my brain is like, now I need more food for fuel. Yeah, it does. And I think over time, Jen, and you probably know as well, I mean, you've been doing this five, seven years. I think you've been in maintenance, you said the other day. I have been maintaining for seven years, which is astonishing. Seven. Yeah, now. you know as well as I do that you sort of become more of an intuitive faster, if you like, over time. I mean, when I lost the weight, I did 23 and one basically for 15 months till I hit my goal. And I did that even when I had a three-month weight loss plateau during that time, I still kept going because I thought, well, I'm trusting the process. It's Something's happening. I could see these other things going on. And then the weight that I'd lost was allowing me to do more things, and I started increasing my exercise. But it was all the psychological things that were coming really great for me, like things just like going to the shopping center and not being afraid of being in crowds because everyone was staring at me, not being afraid of going to the movies and breaking the seat not being afraid to get on an aircraft and everybody was cringing because you're going to sit next to them. And it was those things. And I remember the first time that I got onto an aircraft where I lost all that weight and I sat down in the seat and how freeing that was. And that was the the best single moment of this whole journey. When I put that seatbelt on and there was like eight inches of belt hanging out, I just started crying like a baby. Because it was a most Because the other time, did you have to have like an extender? No. I, well, this is the weird thing. I never got to that point. Well, I was very good at hiding it. That's what I'll say. Because I used to get a pillow and I'd stick it over myself and then they'd come down and they'd look and they, and they never said anything to me, you know. And um, it was only one time where I was in business class and they had lights on the seat. And if your belt wasn't buckled up, the light came on. And the stewardess come down and she said, excuse me, sir, your belt's not done up. And I and sort of really struggled, and I managed to just get it done up. 
So yeah, that was because I was tall as well. I'm six foot five. So even when I was that weight, I wasn't that classic, massive, big belly type guy. I was just big. I was a very imposing man. And, and I guess I'm still tall now, but I'm, I'm thinner. But yeah, all those things, Jin, that come through your mind as an obese people have, anxiety, frightened of things like crowds, just going standing in front of an audience and giving a talk at work. I used to really freak out about that stuff. And now I strut out there and I don't care because I have that confidence and I walk into a room now, I don't stoop and I just go in there and I have that confidence to be able to share with people, now talk to people about fasting and it really has been life-changing. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, how it has been to know that you're making such a difference and how it's life-changing for you. Let's first talk about the process of writing the book, you because know, I know a lot of people talk to me, and probably you as well, you know, as an author, and, you know, I self-published my first few books, and, and you've self-published yours, and a lot of people, you know, the whole idea of publishing seems like such a barrier, like they don't know where to start, but we're in a time where really anyone can put something out there. We, you don't have to have the gatekeeper anymore. You don't have to have the editor who says yes or no, your book is worthy, your book is not worthy. No one would have said yes to Delay, Don't Deny. No one. So I, I did it myself because I was a teacher. They're like, who are you? I'm like, well, I'm someone who was obese and is not anymore. So I think, you know, that's somebody with a story to tell. But let's talk about, you know, self-publishing and the process of writing a little bit. It is a process and... When I first thought about the book, I thought, well, the reason I started the book and I started the podcast was this, because I was driving down the road, I was going to shopping centers, I was seeing people on the street that were obese and I wanted to help them. And I just couldn't walk up to somebody and say, hey, you're obese. I know about intermittent fasting. I can help you. And I mean, I was a tall, fit and just you know, fit looking guy and I didn't want them to get offended. You can't go and say that to people. And I thought, well, how am I going to help people? Well, OK, I can write a book. And I can put all my journey in there, the fasting highway, and I called it the fasting highway because I'd been down so many dead ends and bad exits in my life with my weight. I thought, well, now I'm this fasting highway and it just seems like I'm on my way to autopilot wellness. And I just loved it. And so that's why I called it that. And then I started writing and it took me a lot of time because I had to really dig deep into my past. And that can be very painful and emotional, especially when I was talking about my Life at school, which was terrible, I honestly was. My life at school, I can never say to anybody I had a great school life because I didn't. I mean, outside of school, when I left, I had a great life. But in my school years, I was unfortunately in a group with a lot of bullies, and I had to learn how to fight to survive basically every day. See, that breaks my heart, especially knowing that the school personnel didn't or that they joined in. Like, I'm like, what? Yeah, well, we had teachers in the in the seventies, that as I say, that some of the guys were like ex-Vietnam guys, and they were a bit, you know, messed up. You know, they just didn't tolerate. They used to try and get popular with the bullies. The bullies were the guys that ran the school. It was almost like a prison where the bullies ran the, ran the prison, and you were like the guy that they were beating up all the time. Yeah, and so when I left school, it was one of the best days of my life. And and then I went into work, and you know, and then I sort of started thinking about that while I was writing, and, it, and I had to stop. And, you know, it was so bad. And then I thought about how I got addicted to sugar and fast food and what formulated that. And then I thought how I'm going to tell people how I found out about fasting. So then I had to talk about you and and this, you know, great community that I found and how helpful it was. And then the process of how I started and what happened and, 
you know, the health benefits, and it just really started coming out. And then the process of it was that I didn't know anything about it. And, you know, Kim Smith, a good friend of ours, and I asked Kim about it, and, and she told me a bit about it. And I thought, well, I'll look into it. And I got this guy in Yugoslavia, and he helped me get it all ready and put it out there. And as you know, you hit a publish button, and you don't know what's going to happen. I, at the time, I thought, I have no idea what's going to happen. I said, you know, one of my family members might buy the book, might be lucky. And then, you know, as I said before, 425 days and every day somebody around the world has bought my book and you sort of wake up in the morning and you go, wow, that's pretty pretty interesting. And then you get all these messages and people posting pictures with your book all around the world. And then I got contacted by a guy in Antarctica and he said, hey, Graham, I'm really loving your book. I'm, I work down here in Antarctica and all I could think of is this little scientist sitting in an ice truck reading my book and it just blew my mind in. And then you start thinking about these people say, you're life changing, you're changing my life. You have helped my husband. You know, I had a woman ring me that I'm a farmer that I know and she was in tears and she said, I cannot tell you how much you've changed my husband's life. He's a totally different man. And it just made me so emotional. And then it really started giving me drive to other things like the podcast. And then when I started talking to people all around the world and you know, then you'd have people saying your stories that you give out, just like you do, are so inspiring and motivational. And then, you know, starting a group, I thought, well, you know, it's just me and my wife. And like you, you start a small group and it starts taking off and you start thinking, well, where are all these people coming from? This is, you know, joining from all over the place. You know, and that's not a simple process because that brings about issues too. But the, getting back to the book and the process, once you get it out there and you get it out, and then you start seeing people write stuff about you and how they received it. And occasionally you'll get people that bag it and that, but that's okay. That's life. It's like you have 100 people go out for dinner. You'll have 75 of them will say, that was the best meal I've ever had. You'll say 10 that will say it was pretty ordinary. And then you'll have 10 that will say it was horrible. And that's just like a book, like anything else. So you have to be prepared for that. And I think, but if you really see how many people actually get something from it, and they tell you how inspiring it was. And then when you see the photos all over the world, different landscapes, France, England, South Africa, you name it. And I had a group from Norway contact me and they said, oh, we're having a coffee club meeting and we're going to talk about your book in Norway. And I thought, wow, Norway. It's like, I know it's like your meetings that you have there in, in Augusta, you know, at the coffee shop with people with your book. You know, we haven't had those since the pandemic closed our place down. Yeah. Oh, you haven't had them? Mm-mm, we haven't been having them because we were meeting at Starbucks and then they closed the inside of it because of the pandemic. And then I, they kept it closed for a long, long time. And then they, I think, didn't have enough help to reopen it. So we just all got out of the practice of doing it. And it's really such a shame because I enjoyed it. I think what really resonated with a lot of people thinking about it around the book was like you, they read about someone that actually did it. I mean, we can all read about, you know, celebrities and doctors and whoever and give us all this information. But when you actually read about someone's journey and you go into their personal journey and they look at that and they go, I was like that at school. I got bullied. I had that issue. I was a sugar addict. I was a fast food addict. I had to go, how am I going to do this? And they get some motivation to start. And then if they, that's what I thought. Well, if it inspires one person, great. And yeah, I mean, it's thousands of people around the world now have got it, but you know, that's, I never thought that would ever happen. Well, I know that's exciting to know that your book is, I mean, knowing that they're having a book club with it in Norway really is exciting. 
I mean, you just can't. It's like, what? It felt like it was like Oprah's book club or something. It was like, <laughs> I could just imagine these people sitting around looking at my book in Norway. You know what I mean? It's like, and here in Australia, I, I had, you know, obviously have a lot of people that ask me for help and that sort of thing. And now the book's out and the podcast, The Fasting Highway, and you start becoming more of a public figure, if you like, if that's the term. But you know, and then you get more people contacting you and you, your passion is that you really want to help people, but you can't simply have all that time to funnel in to, to do it. And so I'm at that crossroads now about, you know, my career and whether I want to do something with fasting because I'm more passionate about that. But how you do it, that's another thing. But, you know, in three years, a lot of things have happened. And, you know, for you, I mean, you've had two more books, you've created a whole new community and, you know, all those things. And I think as you go on, your passion gets to the point where, and one thing I always remember about you saying is share without fear. And I have that in my mind all the time, share without fear. And that's what drives me. And I think, well, some stage I'm going to be able to say to people, well, I can help you, but I, I obviously can't do it, you know, for nothing. Because if I don't have a job, then somehow I've got to say to Lou, well, this is how I'm going to pay the bills. But I haven't, haven't worked that out. Well, you do have to make that shift because I remember trying to balance, you know, running the, the Facebook groups and they got so large and I was teaching full time. And I was teaching, like I remember one day there was some kind of an argument that happened in the one meal a day group. This is before the day of post, days of post-approval. And so I was teaching, I don't know, maybe it was 2017, I'm just going to say. So something happened while I was at work and someone posted something and they all had an argument. And by the time it was over and I looked at it, there was like a message that someone sent me and they're like, I used to respect you, but the fact that you would allow people to have this conversation in your group means I have lost all respect for you. And I'm like, I was just teaching my children. I didn't even know it was happening. (laughs) And that was really sad and frustrating, but I couldn't do them both and do them well. Like I couldn't be like, hey, kids, teach yourself. I've got to handle this problem here that these adults are having in this other world that I'm also part of. And of course, post-approval helped with that a lot because he was right. The initial post, if we had had post-approval, there's no way we would have approved it. He was not wrong. But, you know, to put the responsibility on me, I was like, well, okay, this is just more than I can do. And it was just, you know, always feeling, deciding between, well, here's the thing, you know, that pays the bills. That was teaching. And intermittent fasting was a passion project like it is with you. It's, you know, first it becomes a, you know, we're like, we're almost like an evangelist because it worked so well. We gave us the freedom and now we're like spreading it to everyone that will listen. And now it's beyond us and we have the group and we're spreading it all around the world to anyone that will listen. But then you're like, I would like to do this more, but I do still have to earn a living. That's the balance, isn't it? And then you sort of go on and you say to people, well, Listen, I would really love to help you, you know, and some, I'll tell you a story. I had a lady contact me about my book one day and she said, hey, Graham, I bought your book. So that should entitle me to three hours of personal tuition with you. And I was like, well, no, I'm sorry. I can't do that. Maybe Jason Fung will help you because did you buy his book? Because we're not Jason Fung, right? I mean, he's got a medical practice and he charges big bucks for his time because he can and because people want his time. And we're not lesser with our time, right? (laughs) No, and that's the thing too. But And I don't think sometimes when you do become a public figure, if you like, I mean, you were a school teacher there 
in Augusta, Georgia. Jim Stevens is a school teacher, right? And now you're known all over the world and you're known as one of the preeminent experts on intermittent fasting in the community. And people really look to you and they look to your books and for inspiration and motivation. And on a very tiny scale, I've started having that myself. And what that brings is, is it brings a lot of admiration. It brings a lot of people that, you know, really love what you do. And, and that's a great driver. And I'm so appreciative of that, that, that people even go out of their way to send me a message to say thank you. And then it also brings uh, sometimes a bit of a dark side out of people where, you know, on social media, people troll social media and they'll say nasty things about you or they'll write a review about you or something. And that hurts. Is it? I mean, you've got feelings. But at the same time, what you say to yourself is, well, misery likes company. That's more about them than me. And I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because the majority of people that I do this for, they love it. And I think that's how you got to look at it. You got to look at it that way. When I left Facebook in March of 2021, it was the same kind of a thing. You know, I talked about how Facebook got so large, I could no longer manage it. And I was spending all of my time doing post approvals and putting out fires, people who were mad about something. And I couldn't do all the post approvals. We had a thousand posts a day at the height of the Delay Don't Deny Intermittent Fasting group. I want someone to imagine a thousand posts a day that all had to be approved. And then you had to answer a question or do something. We didn't just click approve, 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 and then walk away. We clicked approve. Then we went into the post and we gave feedback or we answered questions or we had to watch it because people would get mad or give advice that wasn't in line with our philosophies, which is important because if my name is on something and someone comes in and says, I think you should fast for 21 days. I mean, we're not, no, no, we don't think that, not here. So (laughs) you had to be careful that the advice is safe that people are giving, you know, because it's, you know, in your name. When I got to the point that I was so overwhelmed and it was taking over my life in a negative way and decided to leave Facebook, you know, I'm now in the small community, which of course, you know, not everyone was happy about that transition because just like you said, they're like, but I bought your book and I joined your group and I thought, you know, that's going forever. And I felt really disappointed that people were feeling disappointed themselves. But now I have this small community again, and I can go in and talk to people one-on-one, like the, what I wanted to do. Like they're in the community. And I mean, I, I figure it's like a dollar a week to be part of the community, but I can give them that personal touch. I have the time to do it because it's not 500,000 people asking me, can I put lemon in my water? It's week two. I haven't lost any weight yet. What's wrong? But instead, we have this community where everyone is knowledgeable. No one's going to come along, you know, that just wandered in. They have the background of the podcasts and the books. And so it's it's like such good advice happening all around and so much loving support. And I'm getting to have my hands on it. That's the part that's so exciting because you and I both just want to help people. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, in a smaller community like that, the same as what I have, I love it that it's it's reasonably small. I mean, 5,000 people. Yeah. See, that's my private community is we're, we're approaching 4,000 in the private community. And so, I mean, by the time this comes out, I maybe will be at 5,000. I'm not sure, but it's very manageable and I can get in there and I see everything that's happening as opposed to by the time I left Facebook, I couldn't even see all the posts because I didn't approve them all. Like I would go to the advanced group. We had, what was it, 35,000 advanced group members by the time I left something like that. I'm just trying to remember. I couldn't because of the way Facebook, even me, the group creator and admin, I would go in and I would try to filter like like on the wall of the group. It didn't even show them all to me. 
like one of the other moderators would say, did you see such and such as post? And I'd be like, no, I didn't even see it. And I would try to find it. Like, it was really hard. And I mean, that's the difficult thing. I mean, without moderators, it's almost impossible to run these groups as well. And, you know, and we've tried to keep a really good vibe in the Fasting Highway group, friendliness, kindness. Uh, kindness is what it's based on and being friendly. We don't do negative people. We don't do meanness. We don't do bullying. So we stamped that out fairly well straight away. Like we keep a real handle on it. And I think that's when people can come and share in a safe space, like the circle community that you've started. And they can get in there and they're away from that because sometimes when you're on other platforms, you have to troll through a lot of stuff to actually get to what you want to do. And then that's a consideration. But I'm just so grateful that my community has grown like that. And I never thought it would. Well, I should say our community because, you know, they're all part of it. But I'm just blown away by the, staggered by the people from over 100 countries now from, you know, you just think, how do these people even know about us? And then you, you sort of get these messages from people and some places I didn't even know existed, you know, I didn't, I had to look them up on an atlas to find out where they actually were. And then you sort of get the feedback from people, but I think in the future, what will happen is that I don't know. I'll be more of a one-on-one person like you because I love that interaction. You'd like to do some coaching. Yeah, maybe. I've been doing some, you know, like investigating how to do that and all that, but it's, you know, that's tricky in itself because you've got to be a counselor as well. I mean, you know, a lot of people have got some deep-seated issues around weight long-term, so it's got to be really careful of how you do that. And I just love helping people. So if, if I just thought, well, that's why I wrote the book, put it out there. At least they can see, well, hey, I was in a hopeless situation. And Jen, when we talk about addiction to fast food and sugar, if I had to put it on the scale out of 10, I'd be a 12 because I really had a bad, bad problem. And I just thought, well, if I can overcome this and I can show people, and thanks to you and you know through your book and your communities, I was able to get started. And now I feel it's almost not a duty, but just almost a a burning passion inside me to pay it forward to others. And that's what I love about the podcast. You know, people listen to it and they hear me talk and they hear the guests talk. And I interview people that do ADF, uh, all sorts of protocols. And, you know, I'm the same as you. I, I say to people, and especially around what I call revenge fasting, we often hear people say, oh, I had a big weekend. I ate a lot on the weekend. I put on this weight. I've got to do a 50-hour fast. And I, I really kind to them and say, well, look, you don't have to do a 50-hour fast. Just you know, be gentle with yourself. Give yourself grace and go back to what you normally do. I've never heard it called that before, revenge fasting. Yeah, that's a really good word for it. We should not do revenge fasting ever. You'd never fast to make up for something like, or because you were, quote, bad. You fast because it feels good. Now, there might be a time when you overeat and you don't feel good, and then you're like, I'm going to fast because I feel better. But that's a different mindset. That's not the same. It it might seem like the exact same thing, (laughs) but it's not. (laughs) No, it isn't. It's just, it's all about being kind to yourself. And one of the great things about my journey was I had to learn how to love myself first. Not in an egotistical way, not a way where you just said, I'm the greatest or whatever, just in a way where you thought kindly about yourself. And I flipped the switch by telling myself daily, I'm a good person. I deserve this. I deserve to be healthy. I deserve to have wellness in my life. My wife deserves a healthy husband. My family deserves a healthy husband. My employer deserves a guy that goes to work and doesn't fall asleep at his desk at two o'clock. 
all those things. And I just, they all drove me. And once I started flipping that switch and mindset, as we know, Jen, probably the most important part of intermittent fasting. I mean, the basics we know, like you fast clean for a period of time, you eat in the period of time, over time, that window where we eat, that becomes what I like to call the worthy window. We work out those foods that may not be serving us well. And people often say to me, oh, you always go on about the worthy window. You know, we can eat whatever we want. Why, why can't we eat takeout five nights a week? And I say, well, you can do that. But if it's not serving you, then you need to actually sit down and examine what is going to serve you. And over time, we do become food snobs, don't we, Jen? Let's face it. We do. And, you know, it It all comes down to, you know, what, what works for you. And you listen to that feedback from your body. We had these chocolate croissants last night that I, I get this bread delivery box now that I love so very much. It's usually like really high quality sourdough, but they'll throw in some kind of dessert. And these chocolate croissants had been sitting in the freezer for probably two months because I just didn't feel like making them. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> which is a kind of a miracle in itself, right? That they just sat there and they didn't call to me and I wasn't like trying to avoid them. But last night I was like, you know, I'm just going to make them. They were very rich. And I was like, wow, that was even Will was like, they are very rich. And so I'm, you know, I, I wasn't driven to overeat them, obviously. But Chad said that they gave him ringing in his ears. Like he has figured out that when he eats too much sugar, his ears ring. Like, I never can say it. Tinnitus. He has that going on. So he's learned that high sugar foods do not work for his body, but he never had a weight problem. And he never, it wasn't from that mind, that approach. But I don't want to make chocolate croissants again tonight. Are you following what I'm saying or am I talking in circles? No, I get what you're saying and I'm the same. And um, when I eat something that's very high in sugar now, or you know, drink something that might have a lot of sugar. And I can really taste it, and sometimes I just really do almost gag over it, and I just can't can't drink it, and I don't want it, I don't crave it. I mean, I haven't had a full can of soda now for four years. I haven't been in a fast. This is some of the victories we talk about. I mean, for me personally, as a former fast food addict, not to be going in a drive-through for four years is to me amazing. I mean, <laughs> if I thought about how many times I actually used to go in there, and now when I drive down the street. I have that sort of vision where I don't see them because they're on every street corner here, same as they are in America. And then when I had the issue when I was obese and an addict, it was almost like my car was on autopilot and it would just stare straight in there. Even though I was going, no, 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 no. My car was going, yes, 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 yes. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. 
Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number smart beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com and i know i can hear people out there shaking their head now and see them saying yeah that's us we go on there we don't want to go on there and then i think after fasting what it does is it gives you freedom from food it gives you peace from food and that's one of the things i've found from intermittent fasting is that inner peace that you get and that calmness with yourself at peace with food you enjoy food you savor it you become more of a food lover and a connoisseur, if you like. I mean, when I was obese, I used to just shovel food in. No off button without even thinking of it. It was just volume. Now it's almost theatre. When I prepare my feast, I sit down, I look at it, I prepare it, I put it on a plate, I take my time, mindful eating, slow, deliberate. And I always say to people, really try to eat slower and more deliberately and enjoy it. And you'll start making that switch. Do you know what I'm saying, Jen, about this? Absolutely, because also when you do that, you can hear your body tell you when you've had enough to the point that you can't if you're just you know shoveling it in and eating mindlessly, which we've both done before. We both can talk about that because we are familiar with what it's like to eat mindlessly. And so when you switch to mindful eating, it is so different. And you also enjoy the food in a different kind of a way because before you're just eating, I don't know, to fill a void. And when you're eating mindfully and the food is delicious and it's window worthy, you're eating to nourish your body in a different way than just filling your body. Yeah. And I think you got to have that mindset. If I am going to only eat once a day or whatever your protocol may be, then I want to eat what makes me feel my greatest. Eating whatever I wanted made me as obese as I was. Eating what makes me feel my greatest gave me my health back. It gave me everything now that I've got that I never had before and I never want to lose. So this is the thing about fasting, right? It's all those things we talked about, you know, the mental things, the not worrying about breaking shares and all those sorts of things. And then when after you lose the weight and you go for a massive transformation, you sometimes have a stage also where you find it difficult to accept the UU. Because it takes a bit of use to getting, looking at that image in a mirror or seeing it, or you're in a shop and you look at a mirror or you look at a shop window and you go, that's not me. Who is that? Who is that person? I still see, I saw a photo of myself on the weekend. I was thinking, that guy looks fit. He looks healthy. And it's really still hard to compute, even though you know it's you. But yeah, that does take a bit of getting used to. So there's that phase as well. But I find with maintenance, it's a whole different mindset to what losing the weight was. And with maintenance, it's more of being, yeah, as we talked about, vigilance without obsession. But it's also, you know, I think over time I'll become more intuitive. I'm in tune with my body. I'm listening to my true hunger signals. I'm eating when I think that I really need to eat. And sometimes that might be 18 hours. Sometimes it might be 16 hours. Sometimes it might be 20 hours. I am a guy that likes to eat once a day. 
So, you know, I still do OMAD. I haven't done a lot of extended fasting or ADF as they call it because it's simply because I, I don't enjoy it. I just want to eat that once a day. I like to eat every day too. I have not skipped a day of eating since 2016. I've eaten every day. But I know that alternate daily fasting is a great tool to have in the toolbox for a lot of people who think they're not going to like it or they think it sounds hard and then they find they love the, the routine of it. So I don't want anyone to think that they, unless they've tried it, you know, there's definitely a place for it. Is there anything you struggle with? Uh, well, when I was losing the weight, Jen, I definitely struggled with the social aspect. I talked about that in the original podcast. I talk about that a bit in my book. Because I, I'd come off a base where I was a party boy, right? I used to love it. And my wife used to call it the Charlie Sheen era. And um, so I went, I went pretty hard at the ball. So, and I also was a social person, a creature of habit. Like I used to love going to breakfast on Saturdays with friends and family and my wife. And so I did miss that. And then when I lost the weight and I was maintaining, I thought, well, okay, I can loosen this up a bit. I was doing 23 and 1. So then I moved to 16 and 8 on the weekends. So I did two meals a day or what we call TMAD. So on the weekends, I just had that freer, longer window to be able to go to brunch with my wife, do more things with my friends and that sort of thing. And, you know, I found my weight was under control. I was doing a lot more exercise than what I was when I was heavy. When I was heavy, let's face it, when you're 360 pounds, you don't feel like going for a walk or a jog or anything. And then when I got the 100 pounds off that first year, just before I talked to you, exercise was becoming really important to me. And it almost became an obsession where I loved walking. I mean, and I've got to the point, Jen, I mean, just this year, I did a 132-kilometre hike here in Western Australia over a few days in some very rugged terrain down the west coast here of Western Australia, a lot of beach sand walking, a lot of very tough terrain to get over. And when I was obese, that simply wasn't possible. So it's all those things now that are possible and I'm planning hikes and you know, the US and New Zealand, and I've got all these things that now I can do. So when people talk about fasting, oh, you know, well, not much is happening. A lot's happening and a lot will happen for you in the future. But what I find with fasting over the last, you know, few years since I've been doing it, you know, I really feel like it's slightly got complicated in some ways because there's been other versions of fasting coming. And some people look at those versions and they can't work out which the best one is. They don't know. They get confused. And so for a newcomer now, I think it's probably more confusing. I mean, when you put your book out, there was a real need for that. There wasn't that book where, you know, people could just pick up and say, well, you know, you read about someone that did it, how they did it. And now there's like millions of books. You're right. There was. That's one reason I wrote it, because we had the obesity code that explained a lot of the science behind it, but it didn't really tell you what to do. So I was like, well, I'm just going to write it. And that's why I wrote Delay Don't Deny. That's exactly why. Yeah. And I mean, Delay Don't Deny was great because it was simple, right? And that's what I loved about it. And that's why when I wrote my book, I thought, well, I'm not going to write a lot about the science because I felt like I'm not a scientist. Dr. Fung and yourself have already explained all this to people. What they want to hear is... How did you do it? Why did you do it? What was your background? What happened afterwards? Did you maintain it? And I felt it was really important. If people are going to write a book or share a journey or something, that you are in maintenance for a while because that gives your story a lot more credibility. Whereas if you just do fasting for six months and then you, you put out a book after six months and say, hey, I did fasting. and But the people say, well, what happened? Did you lose? Did you keep the weight off or what went on? And one of the reasons I do what I do too, I guess, Jen, I don't think this is probably the same for you, but 
for me, it's it's almost like an insurance policy where I keep myself in check. I keep myself accountable because I can't preach this to people and talk about it unless I'm living it and breathing it myself. Uh-huh. That keeps me motivated as every bit as it does you. So I have said this to people before recently in the community, you know, the community support, like what I have maintained, if I had just lost the weight with fasting, gone about my life, lived my life, Jen Stevens, the school teacher, would I have maintained my weight loss since 2015? I don't know the answer to that. But because I was plugged into a community and guiding new fasters every day and helping them, I'm like, well, I certainly can't stop fasting and go back to eating all the time. So I 100% think that being out in the front of it has helped me have the motivation to maintain. And you're like a lot of people would be moderators in my community and the same thing. They're in there guiding other people. You're not going to you know, go in and give really good advice to other people if you're not living it. It's helped me so much to have the community. Yeah. And I wrote about it in my book about staying plugged in. And you know, I talked about sharing your journey is important, like doing a podcast like this, if you're on Jin's podcast or you're on my podcast or Bet Lucas or whoever's podcast. And and I think that's really important. And I remember at the time being super nervous before I spoke to you about it all. And I thought, well, I'm going to be talking about things that nobody really knows about me. And after that podcast, I had so many people say to me, we never knew that you had all those struggles. You've never talked about it. You never told us about that stuff. And we're really sad for you that that happened. And you know, and we can't believe this journey has been so amazing for you. And I really felt people started gravitating towards me more because I shared my story that I you personally People like you, my family, they were saying to me, it's so brave of you to do that. And then I thought about it afterwards and I thought, well, it's a great thing to say to people if you ever get the chance to share your story, then do it. And I mean, one of the things I hate, Jen, is when I see that meme in the groups of Dr. Fung that says, we never talk about Fast Club, right? I hate that meme so much. The first, it's, it, For anyone who hasn't seen it, I don't know if Jason Fung endorses this meme or not, because I would hope he wouldn't, because he talks about fasting everywhere. But it's his face, and it's after the, you know, the Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is don't talk about Fight Club. I've never seen that movie, but I know that quote. So it's the first rule of fasting is don't talk about fasting or something. And I'm like, that is not the first, what's the worst ever? Because we need to talk about it because all the people it could help. If I had not talked about it, I mean, obviously, there are a lot of people out there talking about fasting, but I think that my voice was important early on because it let people know that real people can do this. Yeah, 100%. And it's like going to your doctor and talking about it, right? I went to my doctor, walked in. She said, oh my God, Graham, what's happened to you? She said, you look amazing. Well, how did you do this? And I told her, and it was back before my book and everything else, is when your book, and I said, look, I got hold of this lady's book called Delay Don't Deny. She was a school teacher in America, and she's lived this journey, and she wrote it all down. And then every time I went to see her, she'd talk about fasting. And just this year, I went to see another doctor at the same surgery, and I walked in, and this this guy was sitting there looking at this giant screen, and it had my book all over it. And he was going, oh, you're Graham Curry from the Fasting Highway. And I was like... And I sat down, he said, my my dad had really bad type 2 diabetes and he started fasting and he reversed it. And he said, I fast myself. And he said, we've been talking about it here at the clinic about helping more people with fasting. And you know, Sarah Cull in New Zealand, of course, and she works in a medical clinic where they promote it. And Sarah's up to like dozens and dozens of cases where they've 
oh, it's so amazing, Jen. So I think when and now when I go into this medical clinic, the girls at the counter say, oh, hi, Graham. And, you know, they've read the book and, and, and it's just gone around this clinic and they just say to me, you know, you changed a lot of people. And I met someone, this lady, and, and she said to me, I asked her, I said, how did you find out about, you know, the fasting highway and all that sort of thing? And she said, well, your doctor told me about it when I went there. And I thought, you know, that's incredible. And so sometimes when you share your story, and I know some doctors are negative about fasting and, you know, or other people are, and they say things like, oh, you're starving yourself or it's bad for you. But I'll tell you what's bad for you, Jen. Carrying around 360 pounds is bad for you. It was bad for me to be obese. And now I'm so much healthier. And same with you. And I say to people, look, have you ever been to a funeral and somebody's got up and said, here lies the bones of Graham. He died because he didn't eat breakfast. Or here lies the bones of Graham because he didn't eat lunch. It's never happened. And so I say to people, well, look, all we're doing as fasters is delaying in the day at what time we eat. I mean, you fast yourself. You sleep at night eight hours. You're not eating. You're fasting. You wake up. You have breakfast. How's that spelt? Break fast. Because you're breaking the fast after your overnight rest. And then all we're doing is delaying that time in the day to give ourselves our organs a rest from digesting food all day. And like I said before, it's like getting a free car wash. Your organs are getting scrubbed, cells are getting regenerated, and all of a sudden you feel refreshed. And then you just feel so lovely after it. And that's why I keep doing it, because of the way I feel. And I know when I have the narrower, well, sort of longer fasting days, if you like, and to the less fasting days, I know on the less fasting days, I don't feel as good as the other ones. And I think I'm the same as you. I think if I went back to three meals a day, even if I ate really healthy food, but you talk about healthy food, Jen. I went to hospital last year, right? And they bring around a tray of food. I was in a private hospital, puts the tray down. And I I had a pretty good handle on what sugar was and all that sort of thing, how much sugar was in that food. And I calculated in my head, 27 teaspoons of sugar on that tray. Now you're in there for a week. They're giving you 80, 80 teaspoons of sugar a day. This is what we have. We are almost out of time, so I, we've got like one minute. What would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting, or what do you wish you knew when you first started in one minute, which is hard because we could talk all day? Well, get a hold of Jen's books for a start. Also, keep it simple, and that's what I think. Fasting is a simple process. You're fasting in a period of time. Clean fast. Get that message straight away. Don't try to cut corners. You know, don't put cream in your coffee and all that sort of thing. Just clean fast. Why let a beverage get in the way of your health goals? And then work on your window as time goes by. Find out what foods are affecting your weight. And you can do that if you weigh every day or whatever. If you don't weigh, that's fine as well. But find out the foods that aren't serving you. Find out the ones that do and eat what makes you feel your greatest and give it time and be patient. Well, Graham, thank you so very much. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And as I said, we could probably talk for five hours straight. Yeah, I think we could, Jen. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, say hello to everybody out there. And thank you for listening. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family. 
where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to the 65th National Finals of Distinguished Young Women. Every year, one girl from every state leaves her family, her whole life behind, for two weeks and spends each day training, practicing, preparing. Because to win this competition, she needs to wow a panel of judges with her academic record, her athletic ability, her speaking skills, and a show-stopping talent. I met her and I was like, she's going to win. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. When I sing that song about being a black woman in America, there's going to be backlash about that. Oh, I'm just so happy. So happy. I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. And then we stayed with them for the next year, unpacking just what happened those two weeks in Mobile. I'm Shimoliai, and from Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.